Welcome to our podcast and this time I have with me uh, Kazim Ravi who is uh, Director of Financial Reporting Policy Advocacy in the EMEA region. I'm really happy because both of us have been working on the NFRD revision which is the Non-Financial Reporting Directive revision uh, which is being revised in the EU. And of course this doesn't stand alone, this really stands within the framework of renewed sustainable finance strategy uh, that the Commission, the European Commission relaunched in the end of the 2019. Uh, again, very important, the climate uh, was to gain um, a consensus as to where sustainable uh, sustainability was going and to get a sustainable transition. Non-financial reporting really is part of this framework and it, it needed to be uh, to be clarified because Transparency is key when we look at sustainable investments. The other parts of this equation are, of course, the regulation on sustainable disclosures and the regulation on a sustainable taxonomy, which will be dealt with in a later podcast when I will be talking to Martin Spoke, who is heading um, the unit on sustainable energy. But now to non-financial, the non-financial reporting directive. Currently, this directive requires large public interest companies, which are listed, to include a statement on non-financial information in their annual um, report. Four sustainability issues are currently identified in the NFRD. Environmental, social and employee issues, human rights, bribery and corruption. There, might there be more or mightn't they? Companies at the moment falling under the scope of the NFRD also need to disclose information about their business model, policy outcomes, risks, risk management and KPIs. Now, I look at Kazim, and Kazim, of course, has a global hat on. So um, it is very interesting because CFA, when it looks at financial reporting, will typically come at it from a very global perspective, but taking into account sometimes the local specificities as is happening in the EU. And the EU, of course, has been front running um, other regions on sustainable um, strategy. So Kazim. Um, why is it so important that companies include non-financial information in their annual statements? Um, hi, Justina. Thank you for having me here. Um, I think um, I will answer that. Um, it, it's, it's like I would say it's, it's becoming exceptionally uh, important, this information. Investors are demanding it. Um, they're using it. And I can give you an example. Um, if you look at uh, June 1st, um, Moody's downgraded uh, India's sovereign rating. And I was uh, going through uh, the detail, and it was quite interesting that they actually cited um, ESG factors in there. So in environmental factors, they said that environmental considerations are material to India's credit profile as a country is vulnerable to climate change. For example, monsoon, saying, uh, monsoon rains are critical for Indian's agriculture sector, given that almost half of the country's farmland is not irrigated. Sorry, half of the farmland is, uh, is not irrigated, over one half of India's overall consumption comes from rural sector, and many rural incomes are dependent on agriculture. The variability of seasonal monsoon rainfall continues to influence agricultural sector growth, food inflation, and rural household consumption, and increases increase the overall volatility of growth. Result, resulting droughts create economic, fiscal, and social cost for, for the sovereign. Elevated levels of pollution and rising concerns around water scarcity and management also presents environmental risk. 
So that just very nicely highlights that why this information is becoming important. Now there's a question that when is gonna happen, when it will materialize, when it will start impacting the actual number is still a question mark. Uh, but having said that, that information is important that investors are looking at it and they are incorporating um, in the analysis. Um, and we had another survey I, I like to cite um, last year. Uh, we published a survey which was basically a, res uh, a response to SEC comment letter on um, reporting, on quarterly reporting. And we, saw, we asked our global membership um, what is uh, how important uh, ESG factors are in your analysis. And around 67% said that governance is, is very important. Uh, and 51% uh, said that environmental and social factors are very important. Now, this is in 2019. So we have moved on uh, from that. Um, and I think uh, if you do another survey or finding, you'll see that there's a very strong appetite for information. Uh, so I think this just highlights to you why non-financial information is very important. Now, the second question that comes in is um, what should be done about it, like uh, how it can be useful for investors. I think information need is there, but what needs to happen is that you, should, you need to have a consistent, comparable information. Because every time we speak with our charter holders or different investors, they always say like, yes, there's a lot of information coming in, uh, but we always struggle at comparing it uh, across our uh, industry sectors uh, or portfolio. So, so I would leave on that point. Uh, so I, I, I think that answers your question. You, and you, you raise the problem of comparability. Um, and when we look at comparability, we, we have to already look at the interaction of the non-financial reporting directive together with other pieces of legislation of uh, sustainable finance, such as the disclosures regulation and the taxonomy. But also we have to look at the bigger context, the global context. You know, how, how, how can we um, develop something in the EU that it remains comparable at the global level? And that really is, is important in today's financial markets. Um, and our charter holders are very, very conscious of this comparability issue. And this is something that we like to engage with, uh, with policymakers. So the regulatory arbitrage may um, actually lead to fragmented markets. And of course, in the EU, we are trying to build a capital markets union with equal information. But of course, and we'll discuss it later on in the podcast, we have uh, small, medium-sized companies who, um, again, may or may not use non-financial information. We have uh, private and public markets with differences in them. So how do we achieve this regular framework? Um, it's also a question that there is perhaps not enough information or not publicly available information. And I remember a, a survey CFA Institute in, in, the, in the EMEA region did in 2015, when we waded into the Capital Markets Union um, uh, strategy. And there, one of the issues we raise is about comparable information and available, publicly available information. Where do you get it? So having a single um, database for investor information, such as Edgar, um, might be incredibly useful. And I think, again, this, is, this will be part of the debate in, in the coming years. Um, so, well, the uh, European Commission is proposing within the revision to, in, to, to have an introduction to a requirement to apply a common standard. Um, I talked a little bit about the issue on the global level and on um, the EU level. 
Kazem, you from your global perspective, what is this? An, is this the solution to have a standard in terms of comparability, reliability, and relevance? Um, and maybe is is there something that we could say on? Um, should there be specific EU uh, EU issues here, or really can we talk about it from a global perspective? Um, I, I think. Um, I mainly work on the financial information side, and I can tell you this, that even when you have a standard, um, you have assurance, still we have a lot of time issues that need further clarification, further, uh, uh, further guidance, uh, so that the application is consistent and comparable. Now, for investors, consistency and compatibility is essential, uh, because without, without uh, these uh, uh, attributes, information loses its value. Um, so having said that, I, I think as, as a as CFA Institute, we strongly believe that there is a need for a global, consistent uh, standard uh, setter uh, or, uh, or uh, global rules uh, that everyone can apply consistently because I think that's where it really enhances the value. Uh, so we, we, we support uh, a global standard setter on that behalf. Um, on, on basis of standardization, I think standardization can only come if one body takes ownership of that rule setting and then uh, review it over a period of time and, 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 and uh, provide additional guidance uh, so that it, 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 if, even if, if you start from the st uh, scratch, you will always have some diversity. And I, I think ISV is a very good example of it. When they uh, went global, they had a lot of uh, policy choices, they had uh, diversity, but over time, um, they reviewed it and they narrowed it down that it now has become a very uh, good golden um, rule setter uh, for everyone to follow in financial information. And I think something similar needs to happen. Um, in regards to EU, I, we don't usually allow uh, or um, say that there should be regional differences. I think rule setting should be done from global perspective because that's where the uh, major value addition is for investors because if you allow regional variances, it just kind of uh, makes um, analysis a bit more difficult and more judgments uh, come in, which is not helpful. Thank you. And of course, um, it, it is important, as you say, to get this global perspective. But we have to recognize that at the EU level, we um, are in a market dominated by small, medium-sized companies. And I don't speak about the Anglo-Saxon, the UK and US type of small, medium-sized companies. I really talk about very small, medium-sized companies. Uh, and we've had an issue with their access to finance, and we've had an issue with their being able to list. Um, and this has really been quite, 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 quite a topic that also at CFA Institute, we have been covering for the last 10 years. We did a survey back in 2013 on access to finance for the SMEs, and we worked with Michel Barnier on this. We have uh, recently worked on an IPO task force uh, report together with FESE, Federation of European Stock Exchanges, with the EBRD, European Bank of Reconstruction and Development, and Accountancy Europe. And in there, of course, the whole issue of SMEs, and should SMEs have a lighter regime or not, um, in order to help them build that escalator and, and go to the public markets. Again, of course, we have the issue in the EU, or some countries have EU growth markets, some do not. 
recently I discussed this in the Netherlands, which doesn't have a growth market. And um, it was clear that they also looked at um, keeping a global standard, but perhaps being um, flexible on when that standard should be applied, which is something that we have said at CFA Institute. Again, also, when you look at the prospectus, there is a lighter prospectus for SMEs than there is for um, a, a bigger company. So some uh, stakeholders have been pushing for a lighter um, disclosure regime. Again, these things are, are continuously being debated at the EU level as we try to re-equitize the economy, as we try to redevelop the public markets and get those SMEs um, listed and into retail investor interest. Um, so, again, we, we looked at the issue of, of a simplified version of a standard. You have already mentioned that there should be one single standard uh, and that that should be um, uh, maybe uh, being adapted in a flexible way. European CFA societies do also recommend that and they, they think that um, being flexible is, is going to help those SMEs come to market. So I think again um, that, that shows the concern of our professional uh, members in looking at the market and the possibilities but at the same time, of course, just like the CFA credential is a global one, recognizing that we do need these global standards. Um, and then I come to the issue of materiality, which of course, again, is it was quite particular to this consultation that we filled in recently. The non-financial reporting directive requires the disclosure of non-financial information based on the double materiality principle. What is that? Now we have financial materiality, which is the disclosure of sustainability issues that will affect or may affect the value of the company. And then you have impact materiality, which is the disclosure of activities that may affect society and the environment, typically ESG uh, issues. Kazem, um, how, how do we at CFA Institute look at this double materiality? And is it clear enough in, the, in this revision of the non-financial reporting directive? And could it be clearer? Sure, uh, but before I answer, um, move on to materiality, I wanted to make a couple of points on SME. Um, I think you're absolutely right that SME is a very important uh, segment. It provides a lot of employment. And especially if you look at where we are now um, in a recession, um, there will be a recovery uh, coming in. Um, so it's, 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 it's a fair comment to say like, look how they will be applying um, non-financial information directive when it's already in its uh, initial phase. And, and as a global uh, CFA institute, we always say like, there has to be one consistent uh, rule book, irrespective of your location, where you're located, irrespective of your size of business, there should be one set of rules because that's how uh, investors um, get uh, better analysis uh, because it's, it's, it's coming in a one uh, format, it's under one standard. Um, but having said that, I, I do think that um, there should be flexibility, as you just mentioned, and in our consultation, we, we did say that it should be voluntary for SME. Um, now, if uh, certain regulators think that certain segments have to be applied from the start, they, it could come from there. Uh, or some other industry factors could come in. But I think over a period of time, we would like the gap to close and they all should move to one regime. And the problem with one, if you do a two-tier system, 
uh, one full standard and one lighter approach to the problem, which happens is like you get, you get stuck in there. But then it's very difficult to tell the tier two that now you have to move to tier one. Um, and and I, I think that's, that's not helpful. That's why I think we as a standard, as a um, consistent, we say like one rule for everyone. Uh, yeah, and I think so I think it's it's, it's it's a very good point, and and thank you for picking up on that with the SMEs. Um, I think because we we have of course our statement of investor rights, where we look at clear, uh, transparent information, and that is also important when we go to the point on materiality again. So um, maybe if we turn now to the problem of materiality, and if it's clear enough, and if if a double materiality concept would work. Um, I think uh, coming mainly from financial information, um, there we have a problem with materiality. Um, there are issues how it's interpreted. We have also noticed consistently there's a gap between how materiality is interpreted by preparers, how materiality is viewed by investors. There's a gap in there. Um, with the concept of double materiality coming in, which I think uh, someone very nicely uh, explained uh, within CFA Institute that. Uh, one is financial materiality and the other is impact uh, materiality. Um, I think there will be a definite need uh, for clear guidance, how this is uh, viewed. Um, and again, I think one body that takes ownership of it would be very helpful uh, so that everyone understands what it means, how it's interpreted and how it's applied in practice. And which body could that uh, be? Who could take charge? Um, uh, I, I would reserve my opinion on that. I think there should be one standard uh, body. I think in our consultation, we uh, included um, SASB, uh, TCFD um, as, as uh, two uh, main ones. Uh, but again, I, I think irrespective of whoever it is, there has to be one body that takes ownership because only then you have a consistent application and you can um, improve it over time. Um, now, coming from investors' perspective, I think financial materiality is the most critical one. How it impacts your actual uh, numbers valuation uh, so that they can incorporate that in the analysis. Um, and I always felt that there is a missing linkage as well. How it links, how non-financial links with financial information. Because one issue with non-financial is that you don't know when it will happen, how, how uh, significant it, it could have an impact. Um, and, and I think having an idea that both are included in annual report, I think it's a good idea. That's what we have also recommended um, in our consultation response. Um, and, but I think materiality will be a challenging uh, issue, at least in the near term. And this is why it will be helpful if how issuers are assessing materiality, they, they disclose that information. Uh, because it will also provide um, a data point uh, afterwards when you're reviewing our point, how it's considered, um, how it's applied by sectors or are there differences within sectors and what guidance can improve that. And I think at that point in time, then also SMEs could be looped in into as well, like once you have cost analysis and impact analysis, how good those disclosures are. Um, so, so I think materiality will remain a challenge. I, I do think that's, that's the important point. And then I think it's, it's something also for institutional investors to drive this in their conversations with companies, um, which is something that we um, at CFA Institute have been insisting on. Uh, the dialogue is important. Uh, as the 
the, the world of, of, of information is incredibly complex and varied. Um, this straight dialogue is, 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 a, key, is a key issue. Um, and again, um, in terms of sort of having um, a commitment to transparency, the right data, we then come to the point of assurance. So NFRD is not setting out uh, any requirements for the assurance of non-financial information uh, as required to what's being, uh, what's being, what's being uh, used in, uh, for financial statements in the accounting directive. Now, should, should there be assurance for non-financial statements and should it be mandatory? Kazem, what do you think? Um, I think we, when we speak about this issue, um, most of the issuers tell us that they need some kind of assurance. Uh, but also those who disagree, they tell us that, look, it's important to understand assurance would be different from financial information. Because remember, financial information has a standard, a lot of practice behind it. Um, so, so the quality of assurance and the standards for assurance as well are built in for that financial information. For non-financial information, I think they, there is a missing link, uh, both uh, from assurance standard and also from non-functional information uh, standard uh, uh, perspective. Um, but we, I do think that assurance will be needed. And I would draw um, your attention to our consultation response to Bryden. Uh, Bryden um, uh, came in, I think it was last year, um, and uh, the recommendations that came out, um, they, they have highlighted certain points. But one thing that we replied in that consultation was around assurance. We said, like, it's, it's very important to understand that you have um, historical information, which is, which is fine. You can give true and fair view uh, because this is actual and it, it, it's fine. But with the changes happening in financial standards, there's a lot of um, uh, judgments involved and more and more um, uh, uncertain uh, range, which is kind of increasing over time. And when you speak with analysts, what they really want to know is like, or right, fine, how big is that range and where auditors think is, because once they have that information, it provides them a good idea of, of um, the confidence in the number or how, uh, how much it could vary um, if uh, certain different assumptions were taken. Um, so in our consultation, that's the point we really um, uh, we highlighted. Saying that look, within financial information as well, there are certain areas which require a high level of judgment and they should be covered under a separate section, um, analytical opinion you may call them, or graduated opinion where you tell that whether it's optimistic or it's um, more conservative based on some kind of a data analytics. And similar for um, uh, non-financial information as well because it is subjective. And even if you have a standard or certain uh, body saying that this is the research we have on this basis, this is where it is. I think assurance need to provide, say, fine, on, based on this uh, standard and based on this uh, studies, uh, we think uh, this is um, uh, likely or unlikely, or just highlight the assumption points where they disagree, uh, because I think that will provide value addition information uh, for, for uh, investors. Yeah, and you know, we have, so we live in an age when information is, is so vast. Um, and we have seen that with policy making, 
impact assessments are being used to analyze the, the weight and, and the right information and how it's, uh, how it's going to be effective. Well, in such a way, assurance uh, will weigh, um, you know, the effectiveness of that information. That's how I see it. Um, it's, it's a brave new world uh, for companies, for institutional investors. Uh, we need to make a transition to adapt a multitude of information Probably artificial intelligence will help in some way, but we know that the human brain will remain at the end of it because we need to sift through and we need to make value judgments. Um, so I think this, this is really some of, 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 um, uh, of the importance in, in this debate. Um, any last thoughts on this? Um, I think just one quick point. I think your, your point is very valid about data analytics. Uh, you have so much data available now um, that you should be using technology. Um, and I'm talking this from assurance perspective as well. I think they need to involve more technology, uh, more data analytics, um, and, and provide uh, information um, which is not absolutely certain. Well, I think everyone knows that um, in, which is, uh, if you're giving assurance on number or on certain uh, disclosure, which is subjective in nature, there would be, uh, it, it might not be absolutely correct. I think everyone understands that. What value addition would be that you provide like our fund, we have checked based on this standard, it complies with that standard. Um, and what is the level of uncertainty included in there? What are the assumptions? Um, auditor expect that they are quite uncertain. I think that's, that's where the direction of travel uh, has to follow. Uh, overall, I do think uh, non-financial information is very important. It also will complement a lot of financial information as well. Uh, it will also complement a business model. I think one point we didn't mention was uh, scope. I think one question was, should we increase uh, the scope of, um, uh, like, should we just stay with ESG or should some other factors include it? And we did highlight um, aging population. Uh, we highlighted uh, technological uh, advancement. Um, supply chain was highlighted from our societies. Um, and, and I think these factors are important. A lot of times they get embedded in with an ESG, but on their own, they are very critical because they ask that question, how uh, te a technological disruption will, will, will impact your business model. Um, if you have aging population, it's not just a pension uh, crisis issue. It also impacts you as, as a customer, as your workforce. So how, what are you doing and how you will uh, manage that uh, over a longer term? Um, so I firmly believe that non-function information is very uh, valuable information, um, but it has to come in a standardized, comparable way so that all stakeholders can um, uh, use it in, in, in a beneficial way. Thank you. And, um, you know, as you were um, saying this, it reminded me um, of, of a story of a bat who lived in a cave and saw everything in black and white. And one day he went outside uh, during daylight and suddenly everything was multicolored and he decided to paint himself in all colors of the rainbow because no, it was not good to be black. So can we say that non-financial information can be the color that gives us an additional view, uh, perhaps a more holistic view of, of a company? Um, Kazim, it's been great talking to you. Um, with me was Kazim Razvi, uh, Director of Financial Reporting. Hopefully at some other stage we'll be continuing this conversation, but thank you for today. Great, thank, thank you, you for having me here. Thank you.